Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. The FBI is concerned by reports that secret police stations linked to China have been set up across the United States. A September report issued by the NGO Safeguard Defenders revealed the presence of these stations around the world, including in New York. The FBI's director, Christopher Wray, told senior politicians that the agency was monitoring reports of such centers across the country. We are aware of the existence of these stations, Mr. Ray said. To me, it is outrageous to think that the Chinese police would attempt to set up shop, you know, in New York, let's say, without proper coordination, he added. It violates sovereignty and circumvents standard judicial and law enforcement cooperation processes. When asked if the stations violated U.S. law, Mr. Ray said the FBI was looking into the legal parameters. The senior intelligence official was speaking at a U.S. Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee hearing where he was grilled by senior lawmakers. Shout out to Senator Hawley, who seemed to be the only one holding his feet to the fire. Anyone else feel like it's incredibly disconcerting that the head law enforcement agent in the United States doesn't know if a foreign country establishing police stations in the United States is legal or not? Does it further concern anyone that the Department of Homeland Security is more concerned about moms protesting at school board meetings than they are about a foreign power establishing a police presence in our backyard? According to the Spain-based NGO Safeguard Defenders, I just I need you guys to like keep that in mind for a second. This is an NGO, a non-governmental organization in Spain that informed us that we have Chinese police stations here in the United States. Not our own government. (laughs) No one here. Someone in Spain. Chinese public security bureaus established the overseas police service stations in several continents, including two in London and one in Glasgow. In North America, it found stations in Toronto and New York. The units were reportedly created to tackle, quote, transnational crime, and to provide administrative services to Chinese nationals abroad, such as renewing driver's licenses abroad and other consular services. Or, you know, keep an eye on their spies and give them an easy access drop-off point. China has denied running the overseas stations, and Mr. Ray said the United States has opened a number of charges related to the Chinese government harassing, stalking, monitoring, and blackmailing people in the United States who had been critical of Chinese President Xi Jinping. It's a real problem and something that we're talking with our foreign partners about because we're not the only country where this has occurred. I'm sorry. You know it's happening here, and you have the the means by which to take care of it. Why are you consulting with your foreign partners? What does that have to do with anything? It's happening here. Do your fucking job. Oh, in October, the U.S. unsealed criminal charges against seven Chinese nationals accused of spying on and harassing a U.S. resident and his family as part of efforts 
by the Chinese government to return one of them to China. Last month, one of these Chinese police stations in the center of the Irish capital of Dublin was ordered to close by the government as a result of safeguard defenders' work. Well, at least one country's willing to do something about it without talking to their friends to find out what they think they should do. Former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was dealt a legal blow Friday. In her bid to quash a subpoena pertaining to a free speech case championed, by Republican Attorneys General for Missouri and Louisiana. A federal judge in Alexandria, Virginia, spurned her arguments, which were backed by the Justice Department, that she had nothing significant to offer the Attorneys General, and that the case was returned to Louisiana, where the deposition demand against Saki was approved. At the heart of Saki's argument was the notion that the subpoena for deposition amounted to an undue burden on her. Last month, well, I guess because she started her new job with NBC. Uh, Last month, the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Louisiana approved the bid from the Republican Attorneys General to depose Saki alongside Dr. Anthony Fauci and a handful of other Biden administration officials. The judge who gave the go-ahead had been appointed by former President Donald Trump. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt and Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry sought the deposition for a free speech case that was filed in May. I've shared that with you guys before. Um, This is pertaining to the government overreach of, of stifling free speech online. The pair has alleged that the Biden administration collaborated with big tech to quell speech about COVID-19, election integrity, and other topics unfairly. Saki has stoked ire from conservatives when she claimed at the White House podium that the administration was, quote, flagging problematic posts for Facebook that spread disinformation. The Republican pair has sought additional information about the Biden administration's content flagging apparatus, and attorneys for Saki maintained that the two attorneys general have already amassed most of what they needed from materials that have been given to them. It's amazing that you get to dictate what I need from a materials perspective, and most is not all. So you probably should have your uh, person there to testify or be deposed. Eleven lawyers for Saki reportedly participated in a courtroom hearing Friday on the matter, but she was not present. A DOJ lawyer has hinted he will appeal the ruling per reports. It's amazing, right? You can stand in your job and violate the law blatantly flagrantly stand up and admit to your wrongdoing and then have 11 taxpayer-funded lawyers go defend you and you don't even have to show up for yourself. It's miraculous how that works, huh? Governments from around the world reached a preliminary deal on Saturday on paying the most vulnerable nations for the damage they're suffering from climate change. This is a move that would represent a major concession from the United States and the European Union. Despite that milestone, talks in the two-week United Nations Climate Summit slogged into early Sunday local time in the Red Sea Resort of Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, two days after the negotiations were supposed to have concluded. Nearly 200... I wish we could get Congress to work two days past their break periods, like where they actually stay to, to hash deals out. Nearly 200 nations still need to announce a final agreement on a host of issues, including whether they will commit to a broad phase-down of coal, oil, and natural gas in an attempt to prevent a catastrophic warming of the Earth. 
European regulators had threatened to walk out of the talks on Saturday if countries did not agree to make stronger commitments to cut their greenhouse gas pollution. European officials accused reigning oil producer Saudi Arabia and major coal burner China of trying to water down the deal. Because you need everybody on board. If you don't have everyone on board, when the world doesn't fall apart, you look stupid, not the people who decided not to do it. Still, a pivotal point in the talks came Friday when negotiators said the United States made a significant break from its past positions by agreeing to the creation of a fund that would pay developing countries for the damage they're suffering from climate damage. Washington has long opposed such a fund for fear it would expose the United States to legal action for all the carbon it has pumped into the atmosphere during the past century and a half. The U.S. resistance to a climate fund has drawn steady criticism from delegates representing countries imperiled by climate change, even as Joe Biden has sought to use the summit to reassert American leadership on the fight against global warming. An EU official said the not-yet-final deal decides to establish new funding arrangements for assisting developing countries that are particularly vulnerable to climate change in responding to loss and damage. The talks in Egypt set the stage for more conclusive talks at the next UN Climate Summit scheduled for late 2023 in the United Arab Emirates. Those talks will try to develop more details on the design of the new fund. Of course, Joe Biden would give in to peer pressure that could potentially open up the American taxpayer's wallet yet again. In new, surprising to probably no one, experts say the FDA oversight of clinical trials for new vaccines and drugs is grossly inadequate. The report documents what experts say is a failure of the FDA to not only inspect clinical trial sites, but also notify the public and scientific journals when it has identified violations at those sites. While some of these problems occurred during the COVID-19 pandemic, when travel restrictions and other measures limited the FDA's ability to do on-site inspections, experts say the agency's problems are not new. That caveat being added almost seems as if it makes it okay. Oh, I understand they weren't thorough during COVID, but y'all should be used to this by now. This isn't new. The FDA is responsible for reviewing data on vaccines, drugs, and medical devices and deciding whether those products should be approved for use in the United States. In addition, the agency conducts announced and unannounced inspections of certain clinical trial sites to verify the accuracy of data from that site. In response to complaints about the site or concerns from the study sponsor, or for other reasons. According to the BMJ report, very few sites involved in testing COVID 19 vaccines or drugs were actually inspected by the FDA before those products were approved by the agency. For example, nine of 153 Pfizer BioNTech trial sites, 10 of 99 Moderna trial sites, and five. You heard that? Five of the 73 remdesivir trial sites were inspected. Marian DeMasi, author of the BMJ report, during the early months of the pandemic between March and July of 2020, the FDA halted routine clinical trial inspections, focusing instead on mission-critical inspections. 
One expert that was interviewed by the BMJ said that instead of cutting back on inspections at this time, when COVID-19 vaccines and drugs were being developed at warp speed, the agency should have been ramping up its oversight. The FDA publishes its inspection reports online, which are available to the public, but the BMJ said these are not comprehensive and extensive redactions in the report limit their usefulness. The FDA has over 18,000 full-time employees, but Rushman said this doesn't mean all of the people are available to do inspections. The FDA doesn't just do drug regulation, she said. So the actual number of people they have available on the ground to do inspections is rather limited. Rushman added, there are two questions involved with these discussions about the FDA. One is what will it take to change the situation, including funneling more resources to the FDA? She said, because I think most people think the agency is underfunded. <laughs> the second is given the FDA's current resources is what is, is doing acceptable. The situation right now is far from perfect, she said, but I think it's on the reasonable side of things. <laughs> I'm sure you do. The part of the BMJ report that I agree with is that it probably should be easier to find out what has triggered some warning from the agency. But I don't see how you would expect the FDA to be everywhere at the same time. It's just not possible. Gosh, man, I would love to see government agencies run more like businesses. You have 18,000 employees. What are they doing? How are they spending their time? Are you keeping track of that? It's like you guys are Twitter. Bankruptcy filings from FTX shed new light on how the crypto exchange was once worth $32 billion and lost it all. To put it mildly, it's a doozy. Anyone who watched a few weeks ago as SBF, the CEO of the third largest crypto exchange, flailed through rumors of insolvency on Twitter, only to file for bankruptcy a few days later. Probably thought, well, this seems bad. To say it got worse would be an understatement. Among the people looking on in sheer awe at the magnitude of the disaster was the new FTX CEO, John Ray III, who oversaw the liquidation of Enron in 2001. Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as has occurred here. From the guy who presided over the cleanup of the worst financial scandal of its time, that's saying something. The swift collapse FTX sh sent shockwaves across the country and industry and may leave an untold number of creditors, up to 1 million holding the bag, including countless customers who had funds on the exchange, many of them retail clients. Losses for both investors in the company and its customers are expected to be well above $10 billion. And the fallout should be long-lasting, even though former FTX CEO SBF continues to tweet about potential steps forward. Here are the craziest details from the Chapter 11 bankruptcy filings this week. Their balance sheet was a nightmare. After FTX imploded, Bankman Freed claimed on Twitter that FTX held about $5.5 billion in less liquid crypto tokens. In reality, according to the bankruptcy filing, their crypto value, their crypto holdings have a fair value of just $659,000 as of September 30th. That number could be even lower 
given the volatility that has racked the market since then. Clues were building that the internal numbers were going to be awful, given that (laughs) Sam Bankman-Fried caveated multiple tweet storms about the finances of FTX as approximate and to the best of my knowledge and treat all these numbers as rough. Bankman-Fried and company received $3.3 billion in loans from Alameda Research. The bankruptcy filing of FTX revealed that Alameda Research, the crypto hedge fund sister company of FTX, directly lent $1 billion to Sam Bankman-Fried. Additionally, Alameda lent another $2.3 billion to Paper Bird Incorporated, which Bankman-Fried owns a majority stake in. Other employees at FTX also received loans from Alameda, including $543 million to the head of engineering, Nishad Singh, and $55 million to head of FTX Digital Markets, Ryan Salam. It seems unlikely that those loans will be paid back anytime soon. This next one is wild. FTX didn't have an accounting department. Ray said in the bankruptcy filing that FTX had compromised internal systems, faulty regulatory oversight, and inexperienced and unsophisticated people in charge of the company's finances. That includes the company not having an accountant in charge of its finances, which is astonishing for a company once valued at $32 billion. The debtors are locating and securing all available materials, but expect it will be some time before reliable historical financial statements can be prepared for the FTX group, with which I'm comfortable as CEO, Ray said. The debtors do not have an accounting department and outsourced this function. Ray added that any previous financial statements could not be relied upon. Auditing Company Financials was a firm with offices in the metaverse. Not real life, the metaverse. FTX could have more than a million creditors. They had initially warned that it had more than 100,000 creditors it owed money to following the implosion of the crypto exchange. For a more accurate figure, try multiplying that number by 10. In fact, there could be more than 1 million creditors in these Chapter 11 cases. FTX may have used corporate funds to buy homes for employees in the Bahamas. I understand that corporate funds of the FTX group were used to purchase homes and other personal items for employees and advisors, Ray said in the bankruptcy filing. What's worse is there do not appear to be proper documentation for some of these transactions, and certain real estate assets were recorded in the personal name of FTX employees and advisors on the records of the Bahamas, even though it was purchased with money from FTX. SBF's biggest regret? is filing for bankruptcy in the first place. To top it all off, Bankman-Fried's biggest mistake amid the implosion of FTX, according to him, is the fact that he filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the first place. Bankman-Fried said in Twitter direct messages to a Vox reporter that those now in charge of FTX were trying to burn it all to the ground. You know what was maybe my single biggest fuck-up, he said? The one thing everyone told me to do. And later he said he was referring to chapter 11. The story is wild. I will continue to follow it and share what I learned with you. Joe Biden celebrated his 80th birthday yesterday, making him the first president 
to serve as the nation's leader in his 80s. The president is celebrating his milestone birthday in Washington, D.C., or was celebrating, I apologize, um, in Washington, D.C. with his family. White House Press Secretary Jean-Pierre said First Lady Jill Biden planned a brunch in honor of the occasion. This may be an unpopular opinion, but this is not something to celebrate. We should not have politicians this old and out of touch with the reality of the average American citizen in the top positions of governmental power. He is not the oldest public servant in U.S. leadership. There are several members of Congress older than the president from both parties, including Senator Dianne Feinstein, Chuck Grassley. Uh, Feinstein is 89 years old. Chuck Grassley is 89 years old. Bernie Sanders is 81. And Rep. Nancy Pelosi is 82. The average age in the 117th Congress for House members was approximately 58 years old. And for senators, it was more than 64. I don't think a single one of them should be serving in office either. Somehow, though, they keep getting reelected. It is a miracle. That is your Monday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I appreciate you guys hanging out with me. Um, I had to re-record today because I accidentally messed up my audio input and I hacked my lungs up. Um, and thought that my mic was muted and it wasn't. So I had to re-record so I could put it back out this evening. I apologize for those of you who went to look for it and it wasn't there. Um, mea culpa. I will see you guys tomorrow morning. You guys take care and have a good night. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.